and welcome to episode 88 of The Game Pit. I'm Sean, and we're back to our good old picking over the bones format, Ronan. Hello, Sean. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us after last marathon episode where we had Adam join us and we did our best of 2016. As Sean said, we're back to usual. We're going to look over six games today. Now, the way we're doing this is we're going to have a quick look at a game that's currently on Kickstarter, which we've played a full version of. That will take us a couple of minutes. Then we're going to do four smaller games. Then, Sean, we've got one mega review which will be the whole second half because it's it's quite the beast to take on it is really so our mega review is going to be this war of mine that's going to be in the second half of the show what games are you bringing into the fold in the first half Ronan? we're gonna have a sneaky little peek at burning rome and then that's a two-player card game i'm going to discuss two other card games which offer solo or two players or maybe more but really more around there and that is lost expedition and super hot and I'm going to be looking at Century Spice Road and Santo Domingo. So it's a little, little half of little for the quick games and then a half of one beast of a game. <laughs> yes, indeed. And as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download our episodes... We are on Stitcher, iTunes, and, of course, Podbean. So, the first game we're going to discuss in this episode is Burning Rome. This is from Emil Larson and Sun Zoo Games, and this crept onto kickstarter on the 19th of july it is live now we've been given a full preview copy so we're just going to mention it to you quickly and if you like what you hear maybe you'll go over there and have a look for your good selves now this is a card game it's based on battles between two sides it's a battle line styly but there's only three columns that you're going to fight over it's played with a much smaller deck of cards you choose one of four factions romans carthaginians celts or gauls your army is going to have command points which are basically the points you spend to get cards out to the table and an army strength which obviously it's how strong you are and by attacking each other you're trying to reduce each other's army strength to zero or possibly command points to zero the different cards are generals units tactics there's auxiliaries in there but they're basically units as well you're going to be able to put them in three ranks in each column and each of the cards have got an, an attack or defense value and that's what's valid for in the front two ranks and then they've got a skirmish or siege value and that's what's valid in the third rank when they're in there and they all have individual powers as well and they combo off each other and they make each other cheaper to play or there might be a particular attack fire pigs might put off the other person's war elephants obviously something will be better at being in the third rank some in the first rank but really the, the hook to this is each of the factions has over 50 cards but when you build your army it's generally only going to be 11 to 14 cards per deck and most of the game is in that mini deck building beforehand where you put together your own options and the other player puts together their own options. And then it's just about 15 minutes to actually play out the battle itself. And you see what's in the deck, see what's in your deck, maybe one, two, three games of those decks, and then maybe go away again and tweak, alter, do a different factor, whatever it might be, and then go back in again and fight. There's other things like there's uh, ancient battle scenarios which give you particular win conditions, what have you. Burning Rome, Sean. We've had a few little games of it. What are your thoughts? 
Right, well, so my initial thought that this, this is going into a, a quite a crowded market of fairly good asymmetrical battle games. So, yeah, we've been fans of games like that, Ronan. Now, the thing I found out for this one is because you've got such a big faction deck and to learn all of those cards for the four powers that are in the game, I think you're going to have to play this one quite a few times to get the meat of the game. So the time frame of the game actually lends itself to uh, this and to multiple plays of the faction. Now, the selling point for me is going to be digging into those armies, digging in deeper, finding what works, what doesn't work, how to combat the different factions. So I think it's one of those ones you're not going to get everything out of it on your first couple of plays. You've really got to delve deep into this one before you even go into the scenarios, which gives you an additional level of gameplay. Yeah, it's an unusual balance, and then the game itself is relatively light. You're dictated by card draw to some degree, but from a very small deck, so you've controlled what you're drawing. And a lot of the game is away from the table. That would have struck me, Sean, a perfect lunchtime game. You get together, you play a couple of games, it takes half an hour, 40 minutes, you go away, that afternoon, you tweak your deck a bit, the next day you come together and play it again. My buddy at work, we played Battle Hill 218 to death, and all sorts of other two-player games it feels like that's where it would sit in my collection. Yeah, we talked about a game um, at the UK Games Expo, Demolition Derby, whatever it was. And this one has a lot more agency than the game. It's not the same type. It's not asymmetrical, but it's that kind of in-your-lunch-hour in game. But I think this one suits it a lot more because you have got a lot more agency in what you're actually doing. So, yeah, it's still you've got that thinkiness, but you've also you've also got that quick time frame cool so that's burning rome from emil larson and sun Tzu games if you like what you heard go and check it out on kickstarter and sean is going to lead us further onwards with century spice road running this is a game from emerson matsuchi and he's previously delivered us specter ops it's from plan b games and it's two to five players and just a quick bit about this one first. It's the first of a planned trilogy. And all the trilogy are, can be played on their own. Or they can be all put together and interact together. So this is obviously something that's a, an ongoing project. So what is Century Spice Road? Well, you are a trader, a spice trader. And you're basically trying to buy as much spices as you can. And build your spice empire and increase your wealth. That's pretty much it for the backstory on this one. What you're going to do is you're going to lay out four types of spice, and they are represented by yellow, red, green, and brown cubes. You're going to lay out six market cards. The market cards are how you are going to harvest your spices or make a trade to swap spices for different ones. Then you're going to lay out five scoring cards, and they're simply you're going to trade in your spices and you get the, get the scoring cards. Obviously, the higher numbers are going to be more difficult spices to obtain or more spices. On your go, you've got a small amount of actions. You can establish a trade route, which is basically take one of those market cards. And it's a very, it's like small world. If you want the first one, it's free, but you have to pay a spice for everyone that you go over. You can make a trade or harvest your spices. You're going to play one of those market cards from your hand and either just straight up gather up spices or, as I said, trade for, for different spices. You can fulfill the demand which you're going to pay all those goods for a scoring cards, or you can rest and you can pick up all the cards that you've used. After a person has got five or six, depending on the player count of those scoring cards into their tableau, 
the game is going to finish. And that's pretty much it for Century Spice Roadrunner. First thing that struck me, the build quality of the game. And yeah, it's Plan B Games will see come onto the market with their run by the lady who used to run Philosophia Games. And this is her Plan B after that was bought by Asmodee. And the quality production is right up there. I agree with you. Nice colours, great artwork, everything is top-notch. You get little dishes to put the spices in. I cannot complain about the presentation of this game, Sean. Yeah, right down to something I didn't mention was uh, the first two of the scoring cards in the row have coins, and those coins are metal, and they increase the scoring value of those cards. So, yeah, really nice production. The artwork isn't isn't exciting artwork because it's basically people gathering spices or moving spices around, but it's very good, and the cards are all that sort of tarot style. So, yeah, looks good on the table, shall we say. Yes. But, yeah. but now, now I have to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Right? Is this an elaborate joke? Why do you say so? Dice Tower do their best of the month every month. And all their contributors, a little video snippet, and they say, best game of the month they've played. And Near and Far was on a lot of those lists, by the way. Century Spice Road was on there. And I'm looking at the average ratings on Geek. And I'm hearing other reviews. And I'm sitting here, scratching my head and puzzling as to Why? Is this game getting so much praise? I'm not with you on this one at all. I had no expectations of this one at all. I picked it up at the UK Games Expo, as you know. You were right beside me when I just thought, oh, you know what, I'll give that one a go. And I fully supported you because I'd heard all positive things about it. I was yeah, like, oh, great, uh, yeah, you're getting that cool. I want to play it. Yeah, I hadn't really heard that much about it. I hadn't delved into it. Opened the box, obviously impressed by the components, but then thought, oh, okay, looks like it's not going to be a great game. Me and Nat absolutely adored it such a simple framework of a game it just it allowed us to do exactly what we wanted to now, maybe oh, oh, oh yeah yeah a, a simple it, it could not be more generic if you typed into a computer make me a generic board game this is what would come out there's four color cubes you have cards that get you some cubes that swap you into other cubes and you hand the cubes in to score some points it is so generic it is bog standard to steal your own words i could have designed it Twenty thousand other gamers could have designed it it is there's nothing to it get some cubes hand some cubes in Da-da. i think it's just the seamless way in which it's done i think it all makes sense you can see what you're doing you can just plan ahead you've got the cards the cards are continuously coming out on that conveyor belt you can see what you're going. You can block people on this. You know what? Cards. I can see what's going on in a cardboard box making factory, and I can see all them coming along on a conveyor belt. I'm not going to spend 50 minutes looking at that production line. I, I honestly don't know why you don't like this. Sorry. I, I get Name one memorable moment from a game of Century Spice Road. Time when I was blocking you from getting your cards, even getting the extra point cards, and uh, I snuck the you, at the last You blocked minute. me from getting like a point. A point in a 70-point game. That was the most memorable thing you can remember. Name a clever bit of gameplay from any of your games from Century Spice Road where someone did something and you went, ah, I didn't see that coming, or that was unexpected, or you put those cards together in an unusual way that wasn't obvious to me, or I have learned how to be better at this game from looking at what you just did because it was so good. Well, first game we played, second, no, she's second game we played me in that. Natalie absolutely 
She snatched up all the ways of getting to the brown cubes, which are the most expensive, the, the, the uh, cinnamon. And she really hampered my progression into the cinnamon. And I realized how important that was. So there you go. She's hampered me. She's made her hand stronger. She picked up cards that fed into that tactic. And I learned from that. Well, you learned not to let someone else in a two-player game monopolize the most valuable spice. I'm not sure that's a big learning point, buddy. It's a gateway level game. It's a, it's addictive. It's fun. You can see, it's you, can see you can see how it's you're building. Dull. You're constantly thinking it's not dull at all. Oh, it's so dull. There's no right. Okay, so this is getting compared to Splendor constantly. All right, it's so I much better than Splendor. Splendor. No, no, it's crazy. so much. It's, I Wait, hate it. Splendor. I am not Splendor's biggest fan. I am not gonna. But I think it's a good gateway game. But I don't think you want to play it all the time. But it's a, what it does is good. All right, at least, at least in Splendor, I can take those gem cards, build up my own tableau that makes the more expensive cards cheaper later on so i can reach them and there is some build-up some engine to what i'm doing i'm going okay i'm going to take three ruby cards because i want that expensive ruby card later on i'm going to get it together and go after that noble and whatever it might be okay i i, I have got goals to work towards in century spice road i hand in my spices i get my points i have the same cards in my hand and i just start going again doing exactly the same actions i just spent 10 minutes doing to score one card I'm going to do them for the next 10 minutes to score another card. Then I pick them up and then I throw them down again. Exactly the same cards with no engine building up, no progression. I'm not aiming at anything. I can't plan ahead. I can't say that's my goal. My goal is to have some spices so that when the cards move along, I can take that card. That is back. nonsense. There's no engine. If you, if you pick the right cards, then your engine is immediately back into place. You've got you returning. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't emerge. It doesn't do anything. It's the same engine in the first 15 minutes as in the last 15 minutes. Because you, you're constantly tweaking it. You're picking up new cards that are going to affect that. If you see other people are, are taking away a lot of the ability to get a certain one, you're, you're trying to get them in a different way you're constantly watching what people are doing there's no downtime in this game i honestly don't i don't see the hate for this i've never i've not heard you be this it's patriotic about a game it's bland it's so bland it offends me I really and it's like not it. it's not really vitriol against the game the game is whatever it is but it's just a boring generic there's a thousand games like it it's puzzlement at the praise it's the part of like why are you what, this game is not going to be played in a year's time. There's nothing to it. There's nothing there. You're not going to play the 10th game and go, oh, oh, look, oh, yeah, my brain is still popping. I've discovered something new. There's no puzzle to it. It's just throw down a car, get some cubes, throw down a car, get some cubes, hand in some cubes, get a car. That's I, it. I guarantee you're playing this in, in a year's time. And you know what? I'm not going to learn massive amounts of new stuff. I know what I'm going to get with this. I'm going to be able to play this in 25 minutes and my brain's going to be buzzing not burning buzzing a little bit no i even buzzing what i'm going to put together irritate just tickled no. just like a feather flicking across the top no ah, no, that's annoying. Ah. no no and I'm it is thoroughly this enjoy is it. the fidget spinner of games all right go on. it's constant motion to no end is that your summing up that's my summing up all right century spice road equals fidget spinner right don't listen to that buffoon. This is a very quick to learn game, and to get you get playing instantly with this one. Simple choices because there's nothing new in it. Hey, I give you also your fidget spinner without buttoning. You did. You, you, you I mean cutting all the time. Get out of here. 
Simple choices to build your engine, little downtime. You still have to think and plan your way to scoring points. It's a gateway level game. It's addictive, it's fun, there's moments of tension, and it's a great production. Century Spice Road is a great little game. I might have to edit all of that out. Yeah. I might have to do a short impression. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yeah. We're not going to be arguing about this one either. <laughs> number two this game is super hot a one to three player game it's 20 to 40 minutes designed by manuel correa and from board and dice games a polish publisher super hot is an indie video game if you didn't know i've never played it but i believe the game moves when you do you are a figure and you're moving through an area and there are other figures around you it's all quite abstract art and you're going to be fighting these dudes and dodging their bullets. But you stop and you can have a look around and see what's around you, what's your obstacles, what the terrain is. And then when you start moving, they start moving. That, as far as I know, that's the idea of the game. They've tried to recreate this in a small, quick card game. And there is a line of six obstacle cards. And you have a hand of four cards. Now, the whole trick of this game is the obstacle cards and your hand of cards all come from the same deck and they can be constantly cycling around. So sometimes there'll be cards for you to use. Sometimes there'll be cards for you to avoid, dodge, collect, whatever it might be. They all have fight and or dodge values on them. And when they're on the bottom of the card and they're in the obstacle line, they are what you need to get in fight or dodge in a value to be able to interact with that card before it it interacts with you. If you like to cut it off, you're either going to be able to knock it out, you're going to be able to destroy it, which is slightly different things with it. Or they also have a similar value, usually lower on top of the card when it's in your hand. That's your value you can use to interact with the cards. So... On your turn, you're going to make a choice between waiting and moving. And mostly you're going to be moving, but you might wait, which lets you discard cards out of your hand that you don't want, and take one card, and then all the cards in the line that are left will trigger. So you only want to do that when you're in sort of a safe place and there's not enemies around that are going to shoot you and stuff. We'll get to all that stuff works. Most of the time, you're going to be moving. You play cards out of your hand, and you're going to be choosing obstacles in the line, and you're either going to knock them out, which means you're going to flip them over, those cards are going to end up going into the obstacle discard pile so they never come into your player deck and you're going to do that with the weak cards you don't want to clog up your hand at this time or you're going to destroy them which you're going to take them and they're going to slide down and they are going to come directly into your hand on the next turn then the number of cards you played this turn in the lineup you count from the right any cards that left in those slots, they slide down and they become part of your player discard pile. So they will become part of your hand, but slightly later on, that's more sort of long-term planning or sometimes cards you can't avoid because obviously you can't always choose what you want to do with these obstacles that are coming towards you. Then you just refill your hand. The cards you've played this turn now go into the obstacle discard pile. They were useful for you now. You're going to be facing them later on in the game. Then, any cards you've left in the obstacle line are going to action. Now, there's going to be places which are safe places which won't do much, but there's going to be enemies. They are going to probably shoot. Some shoot lots of times, some shoot once, some only shoot if someone else is shot. So you can kind of try and manipulate what level of bullets are going to be flying at you because when enemies shoot, bullets go in the obstacle discard pile and they're going to be coming at you. If there is a bullet in the line and it's left there, it is going to come into your hand immediately and bullets are not good they clog up your hand it's hard to get rid of them there is a card called pliers you can use to get rid of them but other than that they're very hard to deal with 
and the bullet deck is limited in size. Once it's completely depleted, that's one of the ways you're going to lose the game. How are you going to win the game? So I've talked about how you can lose. You lose by allowing not enough cards in your deck, which would be pretty bad play, or all the bullet pile runs out, which is quite often happens, and that's not just bad play. There are three levels to the game, and you're going to get one, two, three goals, and the goals are completely varied, and that's what kind of mixes up. So what I've told you about this churn of cards in and out, if you're trying to do one thing all the time, it might get standard, but there's a huge deck of goals, and whatever goal you're trying to get to will affect the play that you're trying to do. It might be you're trying to destroy all the first three cards in the line, so you're trying to get lots of, of heavy fight cards in one go. You might be you're trying to have 10-plus cards in your discard pile, so you're trying to collect loads and loads of cards, obviously, at once we're doing that. It might be destroy five locations, so those safe places, you're actually taking them out of the line, making it more difficult for you have three adjacent enemies in the line after everything's moved so you're taking risks by leaving enemies lying around but that's what you've got to do for your goal destroy two flying bullets that are coming towards you you might have to use katanas or heavy fight whatever it might be and the game mixes it up and keeps you on your toes and have you doing different things at different times sean super hot a card game super quick fighty clever little churny game talk to me you calling this one super quick? Okay. It's a bit of a stretch, old boy. That's a good point. But So, you know you were talking about uh, games that have barriers to entry and stuff like that. Oh. Super hot, because it makes you think a little bit differently, because that interaction of the cards up and down and where they go, it takes a little bit of learning, right? It can be hard to play towards the goal when you're first playing. Because you do have to tailor exactly what you're doing towards exactly what goal you're trying to achieve. Or you'll, sometimes you'll just never achieve it. You just go on and on and on and on. And while you're learning to play the game, because you don't know how to play sort of the generic, this is the easy way to play, this is how you do it, you can sometimes never achieve that goal. And it can really extend the playtime. I can only really base it on a couple of times that I've played around at your house and both games have taken like an hour and a half because probably we were learning it, but that's all I can really base it on. For me, that just seemed way too long, way too long because you don't have a lot of variety in cards and it just felt like the same cards were coming round and round and round and it was a bit monotonous and yeah, it just felt like it was a bit of a pedestrian rotating oh, of the no, same no, looking no, card. No. Listen, don't get me wrong, there were definite plus points to this game. It is really interesting, it's really brain burning, it's very clever, but all those cards were coming round and round and we were trying to tweak it so that we get exactly the right layout that we needed to complete our mission. It just felt a little bit monotonous to me. And the time frame, and you're already saying that this is going to get quicker with experience, the time frame from my initial two games was too long. And it ruined the game for me. I think they should have had initial game setups where they say, use this goal first of all, then these two goals, then these three goals sort of the more obvious ones to be able to achieve because there's ones like you just have to knock out six cards whenever and you use a counter to count them up that that makes sense right you know how to knock out a card and eventually you'll count up through the six and you go okay and that teaches you the difference between knocking out cards and destroying cards and, and where the value is and then it could move you on to sort of another clever mechanical i think they need a few suggested setups to get people into the flow of the game. Because if you pull out like one of the more difficult initially, goal cards, it can make the game two hours long. You're right. And, and it did happen to us. And 
I can feel you getting frustrated and I could sense the frustration and we were just doing pointless churning because we didn't have any direction. And almost the best part of the game is those goals and how they mix the game up and that you have to get to them is also the biggest barrier to entry. The 20 to 40 minutes, no way you can play this in 20 minutes. Get out of here. I don't care who you are, how good you are. You're not achieving six goals in 20 minutes. That's a bit of a fibby pants. Okay, so the look of the game, man. Now, I know that it's completely faithful to the computer game. I've just been on and had a look at the PS4 version, and it is almost identical. I'm not making a criticism of the people themselves, the, the, the board game designers, but the artwork is very stylistic. It's very abstract, as you said. You're going to either love it or hate it, and I absolutely hated it. I despised it. It added to the monotony, all these very similar cards coming out all the time. Like what was it? What was I? What was I doing? I was in this half sort of prototype computer world. Like it, it didn't lend itself to me at all. You couldn't be a worse person. <laughs> you you could, there's nothing you could do to me that would set me more right now. Yeah. <laughs> it looks fantastic. I'm in there. These enemies are coming at me. There's bullets flying. They come in all different directions and they're streaking across the cards. There's the safe places are very calm, white and grey cards. There's a safe place. Oh, there's an enemy. He's big. He's red. He's close up. I'm feeling it. I'm in there. I'm getting the balletic ninja movement. Dynamic, colourful art. I don't understand you. You're crazy. You'd rather look at another nice painting of a caravan with some spices than this sort of interesting, different artwork. Crazy talk. It's interesting, half-finished, prototype-style art. Well, yeah. It's not half-finished, it's stylized. It gives you an impression. <laughs> it's the impression that there's an enemy. It's red. They're red and orange and yellow. It's danger zones. It's hot spots. It's, it's firing off the brain as you're trying yeah, to... Yeah, attack the prism, man. It is. I will say to you, obviously, we played it two-player. Actually, after two-player, there was the conversation that was back and forth. Was there enough in the two-player for it to not really be considered a solo game that was the kind of bit that i enjoyed was the fact that we were we were back and forth and we were chatting and we were working things out together i think sitting there on my own i think i just lost the will yeah but you don't like solo gaming anyway i think with two-player did make it significantly easier because let's say the goal was 10 plus cars in a discard pile one of us was able to tank their deck and take loads of cruddy cards while the other one was getting on with the other goal. Because if you're solo in it, let's say it is that one, 10 plus cards discard pile, you're tending to have to take a load of rubbish out of the line just to pad up your discard pile. And then you're having to face having that rubbish deck as you go through it. And that is one of the things I love about it is that the decisions you make all come back to haunt you. Taking that one cruddy punch card this one attack, you're like, I need it for this goal, but when it comes back round again, I've got a bullet in my hand, I've got two punches, I'm stuck. Because you do get start getting stuck in the corner, and it's your, you're choosing what cards to take. It's down to you how bad your deck is, and it's that risk of, I want to get through this goal, but I don't want to take all that rubbish. And it's that other thing of, when you're trying to get more cards, what you tend to do is attack the cards later on in the line to take them out because you get them into your hand and you're always going to get the right hand most cards. And it makes you play differently according to what you're trying to achieve. And honestly, I love that, that every goal changes a little bit what I'm trying to do. Without that, then I would have actually flipped the table. Because without that, that is literally the co-op in the game and the 
the slight tweaks and what you're going for and you have to change up what you're doing and then that but that brings more chatting in so i think that's why i liked it because all of a sudden you have to change what you're doing so well, okay stop that we need to do it this way so do you want to do this and i'll try this and then we'll meet in the middle of that kind of stuff that's the bit i really liked about the game so that, and that added to that so yeah absolutely so you're saying it was a co-op that was evolving it was puzzling it was different challenges sounds like you really liked it it is a clever interesting brain burning game i hate the art i found it lacked soul this clinical world it made me uncomfortable which i think was the intention but i didn't like it i had no fun no fun playing this it was interesting but i had no fun and that's my summation oh, of it oh brother 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 this is a compelling original game with a great theme tense gameplay fantastic shifting challenge this is a great one or two player game don't try the three player game it's really 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 hard someone's got to play as the system and they're going to kick your butt every time so anyway one or two player game super hot sure <laughs> okay I can't even remember what you think of the next one, so it could be another fight, it might not be. <laughs> so my next game up is going to be Santo Domingo. Two to six players designed by Stefan Nordisthaus, and he brought us Arkwright and Tallinn, and it's from Pegasus Spieler. Santo Domingo, it's set in the Port Royal world, and it's got the same art design, so it's instantly recognisable. You're going to be given eight numbered action cards and some of these are ships some of these are crew on the sh for the ships and there's a goods card and there's a card to pick up everything so what these cards are going to do they're going to score your points you're going to gain goods and you've got tracks for both of these you can trade and pick up your cards as i said you're all going to play simultaneously and your rewards are going to be based on the cards that are played by the other players and the cards are activated by number so for instance if two cards of the same type were played for for collecting goods then you wouldn't get as many goods but sometimes one of the previous numbers might also affect what you get and that's pretty much it you've got to achieve a certain uh, number on your scorecard and then that triggers the end of the game very very quick and easy to learn game run santo domingo i'm a bit puzzled by the linking it like the branding and the look and like Port Royal wasn't the most exciting brand to start with. I'm not sure why are we making Santa Domingo the same brand? I wasn't so puzzled, Ronan. Sorry to jump in anyway. I wasn't so puzzled. It's a very popular game and it's a very instantly recognisable game because of that art style. So not really. It's not that record. It's it's some pirate ships and some colours and some coins. Yeah, but it's that slightly cartoony graphics. And I always would note a Port Royale picture if it popped up in front of me. Uh, I think you're pushing that one a bit. It, it, it makes the game, I think, slightly easy to overlook. The fact that it's called Santo Domingo doesn't really mean too much to most people. And it's got this kind of, you're like, oh, have I? I think if you show it, like, have I played that before? Is that game 15 years old? Is it new? Is it? I'm not. It is got that sort of artwork that, where I think about Port Royal, there are a lot of other similar sort of artwork games, and the ship theme. Yeah, I'm neither. So, so, but so that for it. me is like that's the uh, that's the hardest bit of their sell mm. is to get people to actually try it. All right. Yeah. Because once you try it, it is so easy to teach and pick up. It is like, 
butter. It's like, we're in. We're flowing. We're smooth. It's hot butter spreading across the table. We all know how this works. It's one of those games, and it's over so quickly as well, that I think there are a few very, very small issues I have with the game. But because of the time frame, they're almost completely obliterated. Yeah, you've got to judge it for what it is, right? It's like a 25-minute game. Mm. Now, we just talked about a 25-minute game, Century Spice Road, okay? Clearly, I'm out of sync with the rest of the world. Zero interaction. I didn't even mention it then. Zero. You're going to tell me, oh, you can deny people, or you can grab a clue. Not really. Not really. I'm not... I might, I might let you have there's a 1% level of interaction in that game. <laughs> Maybe, because it's a nice day and I'm feeling in a good mood. Give me, give me this... 2%. <laughs> well, you give me a present? Are you going to give me a hug? What's going on? <laughs> Button me up. In this game, we have another 25-minute game. Generic theme. Very easy to teach. All things that you understand. I'm sure I get goods. They turn into money. My money is my points. You go, okay, we've got it all. There's cubes that go up and down the tracks and I get certain things. Right. Now, here we come to it. What this game does in its simple framework is you're playing with the other players. And the framework is to play with each other, not head down, play a car, get some cubes, play a car, get some cubes, hand in some cubes, get a car. Well, I don't really care what everyone else is doing. It's about anticipation. It's about timing. It's about trying to predict and second guess each other. Very, very light. You might get it right. You might get it wrong. There's going to be luck in there whether you time it correctly or not. And that's who's going to win. It's just going to be the person who tries to read the other players better. But I'm thinking. I'm anticipating. I'm laughing. I'm going, ah, you did that. I didn't even know you were going to do that. Oh, you did that. We've all played the trader together. We're all going to get nothing. That was silly. And then there's a little bit of memory off. Oh, you've all played your trader. <laughs> I can just wait now. Until you pick your cards up, I know I've got the only trader left around the table. I can just let that build up now because you've given it to me. So the other players know that, though. And they go, oh, well, straight away, I'm, gonna have to, well, I'm just going to pick up now because I can't let him have a trader for, like, build up for three turns. And they, we're looking at each other. We're smiling. We're laughing. We're discussing what each other has chosen. All the time, oh, I've played an admiral. you play played a captain, so therefore I get this. And Look. We're gaming together. It's a shared experience. I'm not sharing my life with small coloured wooden cubes. I'm sharing it with people. Is every discussion point going to be based around Century Spice Road from now on? Well, we've got two games each that bounce off each other, right? <laughs> Century Spice Road sounds like we go 25-minute Euro games. Lost Expedition, a super hot solo kind of two-player-y games that bounce off each other. So I was kind of trying... I'm, I'm throwing things together here, brother. <laughs> yes, dear. It's it's way more interactive than Century Spice Road. I don't think Century Spice Road is as uninteractive. Is that the right word? 1%. 1% interactive. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's much more interactive than Ronan makes it out to be. Be quiet. You can stop people getting cards. You said it yourself. You can stop people getting cards. You can block people by not taking your turn so they don't get the extra points. You took one point of me of my 84 points. Three points, actually. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, very, very slight issues are there's not a lot of variety from game to game. So you couldn't play sort of. 15 games in a row of this and nor would you want to i think the timing of the trade card is probably crucial as ronan alluded there i don't think 
it's going to be great at the lower and the higher player counts. I've heard, I've not played it as with six, but I've heard that you can have a couple of runaway leaders and it becomes a bit disinterested for the other players. Yeah, it, it, it actually works okay with two. I'm cutting in there. Are it you? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, it was um, all right. Most... I, was, I had those doubts. I was like, mm, I'm not sure. Two work perfectly fine. Okay, fair Three enough. Three or four better. I'm with I'd, you. I'm with yeah. you on that, but I'd, just saying. I'd, Say four for me was the I played it uh, three, four, and five. I think four for me worked, it worked the best. I think the early rounds can be a complete shot in the dark, but who cares? Uh, later in the round, you can start predicting what people have got left in their hands because you can see what they've got left in their hands and you start predicting what they're going to play. Excellent. Even the frustrating things that would normally be frustrating in other games, like getting in sync with other people and playing the same, like one person, it usually happens to me, getting in sync with them. Then you try and think, right, okay. I'm not going to do the obvious thing. I'm going to do the weird thing. But they're thinking, I'm going to do the weird thing now as well. So you still stay in sync with them. Normally, that'd be, oh, for the love of God, you're ruining my game. But in this one, it's just hilarious. The time factor forgives all the flaws in this game. And you're always you're always thinking, you're always interacting, and you're always having fun. I can't believe you're talking about thinking, interacting, and be able to choose weird strategies in this game. Wow. that, that That's interesting in a short game, isn't it? It fills its niche very well. It's a starter-sized portion of Euro trading, which is actually fun, and it often leads to a second game of it. It's clever. It's engaging. Santa Domingo is a winner. Yeah, I can only concur on this occasion with Ronan, despite his constant little nitpicking with Century Spice Road. I do think this is... going to go for about 30 episodes. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I, I do think this is a winner. Not not the winner that Century Spice Road is, but it's a it's a fantastic oh, no. <laughs> little filler game and a nice introduction to. The so this is fantastic, but you think Century Spice Road is better than fantastic? Yeah, I think this is a really oh, enjoyable game. But this Century is Spice this is what I think more. it's an elaborate joke. I genuinely, I'm starting to get worried that it's, I didn't get the text. Better than fantastic. You'll never, you'll never get the text. Let's let's move on. You're not invited. You're not invited to the party. I don't want to be part of that club. I don't want to be. It's a club of imbeciles. I don't want to be in it. <laughs> move on, you cretin. <laughs> We're gonna go on. This is the uh, last game of this half, and this is Lost Expedition. It's allegedly a one to five player game. Five players might be interesting. It's. 30 to 50 minutes advertised playtime from Pierre Sylvester and Osprey Games. The theme is you're the expedition looking for the lost city of Z, I believe we have to call it, even though it's a Z. And you're attempting to reverse nine cards left to right with your party represented by a meeple to reach El Dorado itself. No matter how many players you have, you've got a team of three explorers. Each of them have a different ability. You're going to start with four health on each explorer in a, in a more than solo player game, if you like. You get three bullets and you're going to get four food. If you're playing with more than two players, you'll draw four cards, two players or lower. Draw six cards. You start in the morning. You're going to play two cards each, three if two player or lower. And these cards are going to be rearranged numerically. And then you're going to resolve the cards left to right, doing whatever the cards tell you to do. Now, there are up to three different types of boxes on those cards. There are mandatory actions. There are choices where you have to choose one of the ones on the card. And then there are optional boxes. You can choose one optional box if you choose to do so. So some of them are going to give you nice things. It's not going to happen very often, but let's talk about what you get. Some of them will give you the card itself. 
as an expertise point so that later on if you face a challenge that needs that type of expertise you can just spend the card some of them will give you health to heal some of them will give you food you're going to need to eat all the time bullets to face later on challenges or crucially movement in order to move from left to right along those nine cards and get to el dorado however the other cards will require the above they'll require expertise where you can hand in one of those cards or the health of an explorer with that expertise or give in health or food or bullets or there's just death on the card sometimes kill one of your explorers they're gone all three explorers die you have lost the game other things they do that they can add or remove cards to the lineup that you're facing in this particular phase. It'll allow you to skip one or two cards to the right of a particular card or possibly shuffle cards around. At the end of the morning, you have to lose one food. Then you go into the evening. Now, the evening is exactly the same apart from in the morning, you rearrange the cards numerically. Every card is different. Every card's got a number. In the evening, you just play them down left to right, and then you resolve them left to right. So Solo is very, very similar, but half the cards come from the deck rather than all the cards getting played by the players. When you're playing with each other, you cannot discuss what cards are in your hands. So you have to kind of read, anticipate when and where are the best times to play them. So you either get to El Dorado, all three of your explorers die, or you run through the adventure deck twice and you're horribly, horribly lost. Sean, you didn't get a chance to play Lost Expedition, but I'm sure you're going to grill me thoroughly. I'd rather not, but... Uh, <laughs> That'd be quite the smell. So, yeah, I didn't get to play this one. Having look at, I've looked at Z Garcia's review, he really liked it, so I'm very interested in it. I love the art style, Roland. It's kind of a quirky, sort of Tintin-esque artwork, but I really like it. I think it lends itself to the game. It's Osprey games. They don't make bad-looking games. It's got the Osprey inserts that are all lovely. The box is fantastic. The artwork, yeah, I'm totally with you. You feel like, because it's that 30s comic style, you feel like you're back then in this exploration. It's a very sort of, I guess it's not even subtle, maybe subtle to my simple brain, but it, it brings you into that time frame. You go, ah. Oh, I know where I am. I know what I am. The cards are 100% clear. The iconography is just so clear. So easy to see what it is that it needs you to do or it wants you to do or what you can do. And it has the nice artwork as well. They're on big cards. I get it. But if you're designing a card game, have a look at this and think, how can I make it that easy? Cool. So there's obviously a strong theme. You were talking about the theme there. How well does it come through in the game? And I think you've already alluded to most of that. But how important is it to the game? Here's the start of my problem with the game. The game is really, really, really hard. So, if you're talking about the theme is, if you dropped you and me in the middle of the Amazon and we had to get 400 miles to find El Dorado, how would it go? Captures that theme perfectly because it would go completely belly up very, very quickly. That's what the game captures. Do I feel like a comic book explorer? And it's not based on comic books. This is, this is based on a real expedition, right? But do I feel like a 30s explorer where I'm having adventures and I'm taking risks and things might go well, might go badly? No, I don't. I feel like Ronan from London, dumped in the Amazon, fast running out of food, no idea how to handle things, I'm going to die. See, I, I feel the opposite. I feel like... In about 20 years after that, explorers would find me, bring me back to New York. I'd climb the Empire State Building, and then we'd have a fight. <laughs> Those biplanes. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
the different modes in this one, Ronan. How, how do they all work out? What's the better one, in your opinion? Or what's the weakest? Solo is really, 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 really hard because the game is pretty random anyway. All right, and, and, and let's get to that. You, you cannot foreshadow what's coming up. You cannot plan ahead. It's so hard you can't stock up on things ready for a challenge. You're constantly on the edge of losing, 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 losing. Then the cards are going to come out, and the cards in your hand, you're stuck with them. So you're going to have to face them at some time. So if you've drawn three cards that require leaf, then, then you've got them, and there's nothing you can do about it, apart from maybe get lucky to skip. But in solo... A lot of the game is dictated by random draws from the top. So you haven't even got that thing of co-op where you're trying to read each other, or you're trying to react to each other's cards. It's just completely random. That's really, really, really tough. I haven't got near to winning it solo. You go into co-op play, it's a bit easier. Just a little bit. You've actually got more health in co-op play, which doesn't make sense to me because solo is more random. So I feel like Solo should have more health. But anyway, you have more health, so that first one makes it easier. Plus, you get all the cards you're going to get in the beginning of the round. So you can see in morning, evening what you're going to get. And you can play off each other. And there is that little bit of co-op. It doesn't feel like clever co-op because you're stuck with what you're stuck with. But a bit easier. Co-op, two-player, maybe three-player. That's the To me, that's the best way to play competitive just you're just going to be beating each other up it's just horrific just don't even go there just go away the funny thing also that when you're playing especially more than three players is that you're only ever playing with three explorers the explorers are not yours something we're going to talk about in this war of mine actually is another segue is that the characters are not yours i am not this particular explorer so as a very long answer to your question co-op is the best balance so final point for me run just extrapolating from what you said there is it that the mechanisms themselves are interesting and they're quite enjoyable, but the the game is just too hard to be enjoyable. And if that is the case, what would you do to make it easier? I think actually the mechanisms are not that interesting either. Okay. But the the best thing about the game is the presentation and the feel, all right? The mechanisms are not original. If something happens, you have to give something up and it keeps happening. You have to keep giving stuff up. I, I don't I don't feel like I'm making clever choices. I feel like I'm going, Whoa, okay, I've got this bullet. I can spend it on this or I can spend it on that. I don't know what's coming next. It's a completely random choice. It may work out to be lucky for me. It may work out not to be. And I have no control on that. With a solo game or a co-op game, I want a puzzle. And there needs to be some pattern to the puzzle for me to be able to feel like my choices make any difference or make a conscious difference, if you like. And I don't feel like that playing Lost Expedition. I feel like random things are happening i may or may not have the right stuff i'm very likely to die quite quickly and i'm not having a lot of fun uh we did comparisons earlier i'm going to do another comparison people keep talking about friday with this this is no friday it's got kind of a vaguely similar theme that you're in a jungle and you're trying to do stuff whatever it's robinson crusoe on friday right you can learn friday there's a pattern to friday you can push your luck in friday in order to get a better deck in order to take on challenges that you know are coming because you see the challenges you know what's in there and they're coming up again and again you're deciding which ones to face which which ones to avoid and all the rest of it when to take a hit in this you have so few resources you're not making that choice you're either getting hit or you're not getting hit and when you're getting hit it really really hurts when you start with three health and in the first lineup, there's nothing you can do to avoid two health going off your explorer. Well, the next time that challenge comes up, that person's dead. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it, it is too random. There's too much luck. It's a beautiful production. 
But last expedition for me is just a game to avoid. I'm sorry. Okay, well, Ronan, I was quite excited to play <laughs> after after all the BGG <laughs> reviews and everyone saying how great it was. You kind of dampened my appetite, but because you were so wrong about Century Spice Road, I think I'll stick with it. <laughs> Who's harping back to it now? <laughs> I'm out of step with the world in this episode. I'm just not, I'm not feeling it. You're not anyway. feeling it at all. But okay, Should so we yeah, we'll move on. After the break, we're going to be coming back to you with our big review of this war of mine. So join us then. So it's a game that we have hotly anticipated. We've discussed it before. Sean backed it on Kickstarter. And finally, we've got to have a few games of it. It is quite the undertaking. It's going to be quite the undertaking to review. That's why I'm giving it a whole half of a show. Sean, best of luck. Introduce this War of Mine for us. Okay, so it is this War of Mine, and it is for one to four players. Designed by Michael Orach from Cry Havoc, Noroshima Hex fame, and Jakub Wisniewski. Uh, 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 and Theseus. How can we not mention that? I <laughs> deliberately <laughs> left that out for you. <laughs> and it comes from Awakened Realms. So what's it all themed about? You are a bunch of just average Joes, average citizens in a war zone. And it's based in Eastern Europe, with Sarajevo being the, the nominal place that it's based on. When you're building up the game, you're going to have three characters in your control. And as Rena said before, with Lost Expeditions, everybody controls these three characters. You're not aligned to any one of them. First off, you're going to get your objectives for the game. You're going to draw a chapter card, and that's going to set you up for your first game. One thing point to make, and we'll be talking about it in, in depth later, there's no traditional rule book with this one. You get going, you read the chapters as they go in, and you follow what it says, and you continue to do that, and it, get, it leads you into the game, as it did with the computer game. You're going to move on to the morning phase then, and that is the worker placement in within the house. So you're going to get to do tasks like clear rubble, unlock doors, build new items to survive, and possibly go out looking for other survivors. At dusk, you're going to eat and drink, and if you don't do that, there are serious ramifications to that. Your people are going to get ill and hungry and possibly die. In the evening, you're going to assign characters now, what you can do, assign them to is to sleep, to try and get their strength back up, to guard duty, because you're going to get people raiding your house at night time. And most importantly, you're going to go out scavenging, and this is a big part of the game. You're going to send out people searching the area around you, and you're going to turn over a deck of cards to find food, items, you're going to trade, you're going to meet people, you're going to have events happen to you, and the events are all in a massive scenario book with hundreds and hundreds of scenarios in there and then you're going to at the end of that that scavenging turn you're going to choose what stuff you can carry home depending on how many people you've sent out you can only carry a certain amount of stuff back home then the night raid is going to happen and you're going to either get beggars coming or you're going to get people who are just going to try and hurt you and to steal all your stuff possibly some slight variances of that but generally you're going to lose stuff in the dawn, you're going to dish out any medication and bandages, and you're going to draw a fake card, which is going to help you the next day a little bit. 
there is combat in the game when you meet people and in that night raid this is done with a, a dice and depending on what weapon you have or none at all you're going to choose the dice for that so obviously if you have a machine gun if you're lucky to have a machine gun you're going to have more chance of hitting than if you're standing there with your bare fists doesn't sound a lot but that's the framework of the game ronan start where we usually start when we pull this one out of the box you're with me it looks good i think it looks very good do you know you always think about how it looks in comparison i very rarely do and i was so deeply into thinking about all the other things in this game i'm not sure i've actually written it down about the look you caught me on the heart but i think the look of it adds to the general theme is what i'm, what I'm getting at like it's very bleak and like, no, i'm not saying it's, it's beautiful to look at but i think it it's a, it's a deep look. It kind of brings you into the whole theme. And I don't think you necessarily need that with this game, but it, it just adds that little tweak, and you think, yeah, I can see this this dilapidated house. I can see the the minis. I, I think it's the right level between functional and overly elaborate, right? Yeah. You don't yeah. want to be functional because it wouldn't it would be like blocky and you'd feel like it was very... Because there's a lot of stages to go through and a lot of going here and there. And there. It's quite gamey a game, if you like. Mm. It, but it doesn't go over the top because... You don't want to be all looking lovely and lit up and bright colours, because that wouldn't work. So, yeah, I think rather than it looking great, it, it hits exactly the right Yeah, mark. it's appropriate. Nice. Appropriate. Very good. Okay. Shall we move on from there? Yeah. So, uh, unless you unless you differ, the next thing that I literally did after the setup of the game, Ronan, was look for the rule book. There isn't one. Yeah, so what there is, and it's kind of hard to find, is there's those every 100 number in the journal explains some part of the rules. But I don't know that that's listed anywhere, and I don't know that it no. tells you there. So you kind of have to flick through, looking at 500 tells me these rules, 600 tells me those rules, 700 tells me those rules. It's a thing you don't want to do because you don't want to be looking through that journal because so much of the uniqueness of every play comes from the journal because... It's a long, long, it's a 10, 12-hour play to get through this whole game. And functionally, the actions you can be taken are very similar each time you play it. But it's the journal that provides the real difference in there. And there is huge difference in what can happen. I didn't really want to be flicking through that journal to find rules short. I'd rather, even if they just put it all in the back in, a, in an appendix or a glossary or whatever, much, much better than this kind of funny, weird we're going to bury them in the journal system. Yeah, it was a funny way. I actually felt initially quite uncomfortable because I'm so used to getting a rule book and understanding the game right from the start, not being sort of led by the hand around. Right, we're going to start with this phase, but we're not going to tell you what the next bit is. So I, I was a bit uncomfortable. It felt unnatural at first. But how much of that led to an immersive experience on the first play? in that, oh, I don't really know what's going on, it's a bit of a weird world, I don't really know, oh, crikey, what do I do? And how, how much have you felt like that for you, whereby looking back on it, how much did it help you embrace the thing? Oh, definitely, yeah, because you didn't start off with that, right, it's a rule book, so I know it's a game, it's in my head it's a game, and I know exactly what the structure is, exactly what you said, the unknown added to the, the theme of the game. I think later on, the actual mechanism in passing that book around right it's your go here's the book that became a bit cumbersome and we started just yeah okay i know what i'm doing don't give me the book it's fine but initially i think it did very well it's like 
passing up a turn action summary, just passing that around. The, the yeah, table. exactly. The, the, there's a reason why you're passing that round, and there's a reason why you have to go, it's your turn now, it's your turn now, your turn now. It's not a first-person game, as we come to expect, especially with experienced games like this. I was expecting, knowing nothing, that I would have a character, and my character would be going through a story, and I'd be doing things. But that's not the way it is. You're controlling the three or four or maybe two or maybe one characters, all controlling the same characters. And I was thinking, why why have they chosen it that way round? And there's a couple of things I thought maybe we could discuss around that. Would controlling your own character, because it's so bleak and it's so stark and they've tried to make it so real and bring in things where bad things happen to children or if you abandon neighbours they die and you find their bodies and there's animals getting you know, whatever it might be would it be too much for some people emotionally to have your own character become invested in one person in this game because it almost deliberately keeps you at one step removed by not saying you are Dimitri or Valentino or whoever it might be yeah I think it's already too much for some people it, just having it even with that removed step. But yeah, I think if you were invested and you were that person, because everyone comes with a big backstory and like, let's, let's face it, like, your character could commit suicide in this game more often than not. Uh, so quite, quite possibly will. Yeah. 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 That's, so that's... if you are invested in that character and they commit suicide, like, wow, that is, uh, and that's not mince our words. This is a, a deeply deeply thematic game so yeah i think you're right i think i don't know if that was their intention but i definitely think it helps it stay the side of the of the game so but part of that numbing effect as well is that all the npcs are just faceless tropes they're old man or thug or young boy or young lady whatever it might be they don't give them names yes war is very impersonal in order to survive a situation like this you cannot engage with people. You cannot, but I care about every person I come across. You can, you'd be an extraordinary person, it'd be incredibly traumatic, you may not survive as well as other people are able to shut themselves down. But the decision's been made for you that you are shutting other people out here. Very rarely do they actually make you go, this is a natural person with a name. The people you engage with are like faceless tropes. So yeah, because everything in this game, obviously there's, there's been a lot of research with the computer game that it, it stemmed from, so they already had sort of a, the building blocks of that to go from, but everything has been thought of from the thematic point of view in this game. So yeah, the person across the road is just a, a thing. It's just a, it's just a hunk of flesh to you unless they become part of your party. Because the characters were like they had nothing in this house and they didn't know anyone else. I mean, if there was a war, I guess London's is quite personal. If there's a war, the other people you interact with, you're likely to know some of them, especially if you're stuck in a house and you're in your neighbourhood in the area. You don't know anyone and you've got nothing in your house. That was a slight weird thing for me because I felt like I was an alien dropped into this situation. That Where did I come from? Why have I not got history? Why do I not know certain people? Why do I not have a background and i've got a personal background i have a job i have staff i have addiction to coffee wherever it might be but i don't feel like part of this environment this is what i feel like i've been translocated from elsewhere that was a slight weird disconnect for me that there wasn't like you meet your old headmistress or you know the bloke who used to sell milk down the road or whatever it might be yeah 
Yeah, possibly. I hadn't really thought of it. I just to kind of assume that because the fact that I'm I'm shacking up in the in the first place I find that my local area had been completely destroyed. I'd, I'd been lucky enough to get out of there. Okay. Every, everything I knew and and once knew and everyone who I once knew was kind of gone, and I've now got to start again and try and just survive. <laughs> We're making this bleak game bleaker. <laughs> I'm going to go slightly more mechanical rather than thematic. It's my last point on this weird system where you don't control characters, you're showing characters, is that something we'll also come on to slightly maybe is, is a lack of actions. On certain days, certain characters do nothing. Yeah, I'm tired and I lose two of my three actions, I've got one action. All I'm going to do is nap that day. If that was my character, and it could take 45 minutes an hour for a whole turn to resolve. And all I've done is I'm going for a nap. I think also mechanically, there's a decision made there. Maybe we can't just have people stuck napping for a whole day. Yeah, I think that is definitely something that they probably had to think about because that would ruin the game for somebody. So imagine sitting there for in a game that long and maybe you had the weakest character that kept needing rest. So you'd miss like four hours of gameplay. <laughs> you miss it all Literally. and once you start declining man you start declining oh, you're, you're done man you're it's done half you not <laughs> I think it's also easier to, to continuously replenish the party you can only have a certain number in the party but you can go out and look for new people and stuff like that so it's easy to to keep just the people rotating so you're not having to say okay. that, that was actually one of the hardest things for me was that well, the characters were kind of disposable. You just have to keep one of your original three characters alive to the end of yeah, the game to win. That's Although right. winning in itself, you know, is it a win, is it not? And it's pretty hard to do anyway. But at least two of the characters become disposable. And that was kind of... I found that probably more than I felt the other interactions with the, these non-characters of like, we'll just let him go. He's useless. He's only got one action every turn. Just let him go and we'll get someone new who will have more actions. You're like, oh, man. So what am I fighting for then? Because... I'm not even fighting to keep most of these characters alive. What am I doing? What's the point of what I'm doing? Indeed. So the next point I want to get on to, Ronan, is the replayability. But it's not just the way you would normally think of replayability. Like, So obviously you've got, yeah, is, is there enough in the game? Are you going to see different things happening every time you play it? But it, as an emotional investment... How often can you see yourself literally playing this game and an investment in time as well? Let's not forget that. So I think there's two questions there. As one of them is mechanical, one is the actual experience itself and mm. what that's like. So mechanically, even within, and I struggle to call this a game that you'll play over ten or twelve hours. It is kind of a campaign, right? There's yeah. a big save system, and you're gonna almost exclusively be using that save system because the, the ability to sit down and play it all in, in the 8, 10, 12 hours of my take, you're obviously not going to be able to do that too often. And we had to save our games. We never got a full playthrough done in one city. Mechanically, and this is an issue with individual games themselves, the options for your actions start to run out. So when you start off, there's furniture and there's heat within the, the house and you go in there and you're discovering new things and you start making things and you've got more actions generally because you haven't been worn down after a while, the furniture and the heaps have gone, so you're not getting these raw materials easily. And also your characters are worn down a bit, so they have fewer actions. So the days become monotonous, if you like, because someone's going to have to nap, someone's going to have to guard the door, and someone's going to have to go out scavenging. And that's what you're doing. 
again and again and again. Now, all right, we'll get onto what it's like going doing, especially the scavenging in a second. But even within one campaign of it, it does start to get monotonous mechanically. And it's got that funny thing where, in terms of an arc, your options are shutting down the more you go into it. So even turns become samey, never mind campaign to campaign. I can see where you're coming from, but I think what we're probably going to get onto in a minute is that the thematic side of it and what happens, as you said, when you go out scavenging, I think that kind of counteracts a lot of the monotonous or trudge of the mechanics of the game. I think in itself, the book, the storybook and the objectives and the fate cards, there's enough of them. They're all different enough to really if you wanted to keep playing it again then i think it's there for you i'm not so sure about the, the scavenging pile the, the exploration deck i think that could have been a little bit deeper a little bit more but i suppose even with that like you meet a person on the road and you pick up a card then that person's going to be different each time so i suppose it's a it's a framework to explore the exploration deck what, what i'll say to you is though after the initial bit, it gets onto well. Now, basically, we're waiting to go scavenging and have encounters and see what happens, and or open our door and go outside during the day, and have encounter and see what happens. All right. Now, just putting that to one side, the number of phases you have to go through just to get what becomes once you're halfway through the campaign, a storytelling game, really, at that point, because your your actions are limited, your choices are limited. There's a lot of phases to churn through to get to the point where you're reading the journal. There is. There's a lot of upkeep in this game. And that's one of the things that that may put people off. You're going from one deck to another for this part of the board and you're moving to that part of the board. Then, then, oh, hang on, we need to interact with that card. Oh, hang on, this card's saying to go to the book. And there's a lot of upkeep within the game itself, not just when you're starting up. Once you've almost set up your inventions and stuff, the scavenging then becomes the heart of the game, right? And when you're inventing real simple stuff, because it feels to me like, first of all, I guess board-ups and the workshop are kind of vital. They're almost go-to first steps because board-ups help you with night rays. They help you with the weather. The workshop allows you to start inventing other things. So they were kind of obvious first steps to me. But then simple stuff like beds become really important so that napping is more effective. Chairs, having a book becomes really, really important. When I first got a book, I was like, oh, it's a book, whatever, what are that for? When you go into it and you're like, if you've got a book, this is better. If you've got a book, that is better. If you've got a book, so people will come I'm happier. And yeah, you prevent themselves from killing themselves because they're happy because they have a book. It kind of, it's, it's a bit stark, isn't it? A book is keeping us alive. I don't really think of it as the book itself. I just think the book is symbolic of stuff that could make you happy. I just, I don't know. Uh, sharing a joke with somebody else, having a, having a chat, remembering the same person. I think this is just a symbol of stuff that makes you happy. So, I like to think of it as a book that makes me happy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Some other stuff around the, the encounters and the random or stuff like that. <laughs> One of the things, right, whenever you're rolling for those options in the journal, and it is like playing those fighting fantasy books you always go to because you go, go to what, 509, now go to 121, now go to 783. There's always all these other options. And every time I'm doing one, I always want to know what the other options were. I always find there's a little bit of frustration of, okay, what could have happened to me? 
if I rolled a seven instead of an eight, what? What? Because it's all dice rolls that actually tell you where you're going. What, what could have happened? What was it? I had that little that little tinge, Sean. I always want to have a little sneaky look. I haven't yet though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as you said, Ryan, going back to those old the fighting fantasy books, you know, keeping your finger on the page you choose, but having a quick look to see. I didn't talk op- to that wizard. I'm not dead. I'm not dead. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. That was a really stupid thing to do. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Go back to 496. 496. Oh, but there's, there's a little bit of that where I'm rolling and it's like, oh, what was that one? What was that one? Looking at? Oh, I don't want this one. <laughs> Especially something that you think is going to be well, not good because nothing really good happens, but something that's going to help you. Oh yeah, you're going to go and trade with this person, and they they've got a lot of really cool stuff to trade with you. Oh no, they shot you in the face. Wow, <sighs> that that does bring us onto something. There are such wildly varied results from just the roll of a die in different ways as well. Like when you're scavenging, if I'm ill, I need medicines. If I get medicines or not, I, I might get 38 bandages and zero medicines when I go scavenging for three or four nights. That person's dead. I just never found medicines. Okay. There are options to kind of go and trade. It's really, really expensive. In order to do that, you have to have your stuff not nicked. Your stuff's going to get nicked during night raids. You have to build up to defend against night raids. So also, you're more vulnerable to them at the beginning of the game when you haven't built up. And at the beginning of the game, you're more likely to get kicked around. You have a total lack of control. Slowly, as you build up, you have slightly, slightly more control. But the random is still there. I mean, you can go to an encounter. And depending upon how you roll the dice, you might get one thug with one knife. And you go, well, that's cool. I've got a knife. I've got a chance here, maybe. You could have three thugs with machine guns from the same card and you go what there's nothing I can do about that there's a fire card that can happen to you sorry for the spoiler and if you have the fireman character it happens to me in your group then you are absolutely fine or it destroys two of your inventions which are not easy to get and take a lot of effort and a lot of collecting and, and wow that can ruin your game for you because you drew a card and didn't have a fireman and again tends to be more impactful at the beginning. For such a deep, heavy, thinking game, it does feel Olympian in that way, in that you can struggle and strive, but you might just get crushed because you roll wrong on a dice, or you pull the wrong card at the wrong time, or you didn't have the stuff that you didn't know you had to have, or you don't find the right stuff scavenging. And it feels like fate is just kind of batting you around a bit. And, and I know it's thematic, but almost total lack of control or 10% control on your own fate. Yeah, there's something I wanted to get onto. Like, is it an actual game? So we, I mean, we've been around the houses, me and you about mansions of madness, second edition. Is it a game or is it just something that happens around you? I feel that this one is along those lines. I think you've maybe got slightly more agency, but stuff can just happen to you. Yes. It's thematic. Yes, it's deeply frustrating sometimes, but for some reason, I, I tend to forgive it in this game, and more than other, other games. Well, and yet it's 10 hours of very random. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you can be doing really well in this game. You can be you can be on top of things, right? Okay, I've got that covered, I've got that covered. Right, I'm feeling quite positive about this for the first time in like three hours. I think I've got this, you know. There's only... 
There's only one major chapter to go. I think maybe I'm on top of my goals for the chapter. Oh, I don't, I don't want to say it. Touch wood. But I think I've got this. Boom! 83 thugs come bowling in the door. Take everything. I, I, in the I've house. got. I've got the five water. I'm ready. I've got to achieve this goal. A, a camel with a bazooka turns up. <laughs> that, that water's mine now. I own that. Yeah, yeah. That's... Oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> Is it a game? I think it's a game that makes you have to play a fairly simple resource gathering game, building adventures. You have to do that well, or you've got zero chance. You might also have zero chance. So it's kind of making you work hard just to see whether it wants to shoot you down or not. Yeah, on the off it chance. It gives you that feeling of, of being an ant, rolling a breadcrumb up a hill or whatever it might be. Yeah, I might let you get in there, ant. But keep trying because you'll never get there unless you start rolling it up the hill. Whether I flick you off 50% of the way up there, 90% of the way up there, I'll decide later. Okay. But you better push it, otherwise you've got zero chance. Right, so... Just put a point to you. Can a game be too thematic? No. What's your point? <laughs> Is it too much? You are just a a person against like soldiers and guns and people are trying to get you left, right and centre. It's everybody for themselves. In this world that you have, you are up against the mercy of pure random luck. Can you have a game that has gone too far with the with the theme of everything and it just becomes unenjoyable? I think you have to know before you start playing, you're not an action hero. You're not going to be able to take everything on. You're not going to be winning in this. You're just going to be surviving. Winning is seeing dawn. I've lost games and felt like I won them because I felt like I did everything I could do and then things went wrong. And you just go, well, okay, there you go. As long as you go in with your eyes open that what they've tried to do is put you into a war zone, it's not too thematic because it's doing exactly what they set out to do. I always kind of thought, like, I wonder like, if someone really, really went like massively for the theme. And I think this is the game that does it. I think this has proved to me that, yeah, you can actually just have a, a complete thematic experience and be at the mercy of the game and still be able to enjoy it if it's done well i'm going to put something to you is this purely a solo game is there enough benefit of playing it with the group and having to pass it around and having to wait while people make decisions i literally wrote down in my notes less is better in this game and solo i haven't played it solo but solo could well be the best setting for this i think if i ever i'm going to start some solo play and this will be the first one i pick up because i think it just it lends itself to the immersion it lends itself to the the quicker gameplay and sort of doing everything you want to do and finding your sort of point of contact with what's going on I personally think solo will be the best. I think it's, it's decent with two, but I think when you're getting up to three and four and that book's going round and round and round, and if everybody's not of the same mindset as you... Like, we had a game where, basically, we were, we were taking it as a bit of a joke. There was a few songs going around the room. Oh, no, no, no. We'll, go, well, we'll talk about that game in a minute. Go on. Go on. <laughs> so... Just because we were... Singing the Venga bus is pumping when all of us went out scavenging together. 
<laughs> people go, oh, no, well, we're ruining it for Sean. Let's talk about that game. Yeah, no, let's okay, talk about okay. it. No, people are saying they're ruining it for Sean. You were ruining it for me. But it didn't. I wasn't in the mindset that I was, for instance, when I played it the week before with Natalie, and we were really engaged to the point where Natalie, we had to stop because Natalie got quite upset by a scenario that happened. And I, I got quite upset by the scenario that happened. So I was really engaged. I was less engaged in the game. Your house, I didn't necessarily enjoy the game less. I was still learning things, and there's still the excitement of flipping the cards, and there's still the excitement of reading, getting the scenarios. Even if I have to wait ten minutes to read the scenario because everyone's singing the <laughs> bus. But yeah, it was a different experience. So playing solo, by the way, is really, 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 really depressing. Right. You haven't even got someone to bounce it off. Right. It might be the best way to play it because you have control over all that, but you haven't got that person to chat and go, oh, this happened, that, what do you think? Oh, you're just sitting reading these things going, oh, that person died. Oh, my God, there's a dead child. Oh, I've got to bury this person. Like, there's no one to talk to. There's no one to share this. <laughs> so it's, crazy. it's quite tough going. I did enjoy it solo, but just be aware of that. Right. The four-player game, right? We're playing with with people who are experienced gamers. They're used to whatever game it is, attacking the challenge of the game. Even if it's a thematic game going, here's the scenario. Here's what we're trying to achieve. Okay, let's make a plan. Let's get on with this. Let's be quite organised. Let's assign our roles. And we've all played a lot of games together, co-ops, competitive, wherever it might be, miniature games, all sorts. Role-playing games, even most of them. The way the game is introduced... We didn't have a vision as a group of what we're trying to achieve because it just goes in and it goes, this is day, do this, this is do that, now I'll do that. And you don't know what the narrative is and you don't know where you're going to and you don't know what happens when you scavenge and you don't know what happens when there's a night raid and you don't know. So because of that introduction of the game of here it is, start playing, we're not telling you the rules, that group didn't engage with the game because they were like, well, I don't know the consequence of my actions, even in the medium term, never mind the long term. So therefore, these actions are not important to me. So everyone was having a laugh. Everyone was having a joke. Everyone was titting around. Everyone was a bit like, oh, I don't know. We'll just do that. Oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll just do that. I don't Because I don't know. Because the game hasn't engaged me. So that thing of throwing you in, read the book, start doing things, is going to work for some people. Is not going to work for others. You're talking about that we went out because we made the maximum amount of noise as soon as we went scavenging. We decided we were on a party bus with disco lights going and we were drinking and shouting and yeah, whatever. We turned it all into a joke. That sort of behavior stopped at the end of the first round. And I observed it happening. Yeah, I was and literally going to just say that. I said, yeah. as the game went on, yeah. actually, people started thinking about the characters and. Like, we hadn't even read the back of the I the actually think it was more mechanical than thematic, mate. Because if it was a thematic issue, the game puts you in the theme, but they're not that into theme. They're mm. not that fussed by stories and games. They're more into the mechanics of the game. And the mechanic, them, okay, now I know the structure of a day. Now I know what I'm trying to achieve. Now I've got the ability to plan. Let's stop titting around and we can just make mm. some decisions now. I feel like the first hour was zero decisions being made, so they weren't engaged. Yeah, I, I did think, I know that generally, like, one of the players is just not about theme at all, but even he started looking at the back of the card and going, oh, hang on, the backstory, oh, right, well, especially when they were close to death, and even even then he started thinking about, okay, we need to stop this person committing suicide, 
And it wasn't we need to stop this person going out of the game or we need to get this token just to, to put They that. were using the thematic terms. Yeah, 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 yeah they were starting to get engaged in there was actually a war zone and these people were trying to survive rather than like, okay, well, what's the, what's the optimum move I can do each, each round? There's a yin and yang to the approach they've given of just start playing. And it didn't work with that group. Yeah. No, fair, it, the fair game enough. itself was strong enough to come through and then engage them. I need to ask you a question before we get to sum up, by the way. So we haven't really engaged on this. The fake cards, and they have different effects on the different characters, right? Mm. One of the harshest and easiest ways for people to die in this game is if they've got a coffee or cigarette addiction. What the hell? Like, there's no coffee. They, the people who want coffee end up killing themselves quicker than anyone else. <laughs> How much do they want coffee? Like, oh yeah, I can see beheaded bodies. I can get shot at. I can have a fire in my house. Mm. That didn't bother me that much. I didn't have a cup of coffee today. That's it. It's all over. You've obviously never never been in my control room at work. <laughs> there ain't no coffee. There ain't no work. <laughs> I just... that yeah. Oh, wow. I'm just a bit worried. <laughs> I hope it's not true to life. Put it that way. <laughs> And I hope if you give up coffee, before you give up life. Well, you would you would hope. As a non-coffee yeah, drinker, I don't understand it at all, but it's <laughs> you. We'll think of something that you wouldn't want to give up. Okay, right. Ronan, do you want to give us your final thoughts in this tiny little game? Yeah. It's, I, I don't know how coherent this has all been when we're discussing the game. And a lot of it has been about abstract concepts and thoughts and feelings and more than probably any other game review because it lends itself to that the game is incredibly impressive the word i think i use for it is compelling i felt compelled to play it again and again and i felt compelled to carry on and i felt compelled to see what was next and it took me back to the table to play through it i felt like a cork on the ways of the sea where I was going along and the sea was pretty much controlling where I went and I was just trying to keep my head above surface and roll along and do what I could do. It really does feel like a struggle against an uncaring world. There are games that hate you. There are co-ops that are constantly beating you up and having a go at you and, and they're trying to take down what you've got. This doesn't feel like that to me. The game feels entirely indifferent to me. What's going to happen is going to happen survive it or don't survive it this game doesn't care this is the ex-partner you can't get over who can't even remember your name you're not important your decisions are often guesses half your time is wasted doing things either that have no use to you you don't get any result out of it or you're just having a nap or doing something like that you're reading kind of pointless text that doesn't really do anything but you'll still read it. You'll be compelled to. It has zero effect on the game, but you're still like, okay, okay, all right, okay. You, you're going out. You're gaining tokens. Just to have those tokens stolen from you five seconds later. All this is just going on, but it never feels malicious. I always felt one step back from the actual story that was happening. Because I didn't own my own character, because the characters didn't really feel like they were part of the world... I felt like I was more a war journalist rather than a victim of what was going on. I felt like I was observing the situation. I was documenting it. I was noting these things happening. I'd go into a flat and I'd, I'd find a body or I'd go into a house and there'd be some young people there. 
but I never really interacted with them. It, it was a scene that I watched and then it disappeared again and it didn't thread together. And that's where I got that one step removed feeling of not being in it. Having said that, if you can stomach the theme, I think you have to try this game. It's not like anything else I've ever played. To me, it's a monumental achievement in game design, but having played through it a few times, I'm not sure that I ever want to play it again. Well, for me, this one, its we've said it before, it's a highly thematic game that has amazing storytelling in it, and it does a really, really good job of capturing that subject matter. It's unfair. At times, you've got no agency, but it's a very different experience every time you play it. It's enthralling, it's tragic, it's captivating. I think the game looks, I've written down, it looks it looks great. It doesn't. It looks appropriate, we've decided already. Not a big fan of passing the rule book, but I think that's, that's negated by smaller groups. I do think this is a two- or a one-player game. I take on board what Roland said about playing on your own. It could be a bit overwhelming, and that brings me to my next point. If you are thinking about playing this game, have a think about how you would feel about children, animals, your characters dying in some horrific ways. This game doesn't pull its punches. It is an experience of, they're all from real stories that have come out of the Sarajevo conflict, and some of them are harrowing. If you can stomach it, I think it's going to be a rewarding experience, and no matter how many times I've seen on the news and felt some some empathy towards these people in these war zones and thought, oh, that's terrible, I've never really thought about it the way I have after this game. It creates memories, as I said. It's a game that I'll probably only play once or twice a year because of the time it takes to play and because it does create some quite uncomfortable moments. I said before, myself and Natalie had to stop playing the game because because of an experience we had within it. But it is something that I, I find richly rewarding as well. And it's a game that I'm glad I've got in my collection. And that is This War of Mine. So we hope you enjoyed our picking over the bones of those five games plus a quick Kickstarter preview of Burning Rome. Sean, I feel quite drained having to go back over my memories of playing this war of mine. How are you bearing up over there? Well, it was a harrowing experience there, Rodan, but I'm, I'm slowly recovering, slowly recovering. The, the thoughts of our next the thoughts of our next episodes are are inspiring me, Ronan. We're going on to our personal top 50s, and I think we're 20 to 11 next time, I believe. I believe that is true. It's going to be 20 fantastic games, I'm sure. We're continuing that series, and then um, many more coming. Many more. It's taken a long time to edit the best of 2016, so we've had this long gap. But now, now the pipe is flowing, Sean. It is indeed, Ronan. So, yeah, we've got, we've got plenty to come. We've got a few reviews lined up. Kalis and the football game among them. That cult of the new Kalis. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's discovered a classic. Right. Sean, why don't you see us out? Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next time.
And thank you, Ronan. As always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go to that and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to contact us, we're on the Game Pit Podcast at gmail.com. We can also be contacted in our guild on Board Game Geek. If you wish to join us on social media, we are on Facebook, we're on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast, and we also have an Instagram account. You can download our episodes on Stitcher, iTunes, and Podbean itself. Please go on and give us a like if you if you do enjoy what we do here. And thank you very much for listening. Music. Aaron.